we'll figure it out when we get there and do first, ask for forgiveness later. And I think that there's some times where that thought process can really benefit you, but there's some other times where that process could really fuck you. Welcome to Open, Honest, and Direct, a podcast sharing stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock your team's potential. Each episode will take a behind the scenes look at how to build a high performing team from the leaders who built them. Today, we're lucky to have Dan Novaeus, an entrepreneur who started his first company at the age of 15 with only $1,000 and bootstrapped it to over $2 million a year. Dan is now on his 10th company as the co-founder and CEO of Current Media, a blockchain-enabled multimedia platform, empowers a new generation of media streamers where users get rewarded for streaming music. In 2018, Dan raised over $36 million in initial coin offering. But today, we're not going to talk so much about cryptocurrencies or blockchain. Dan talks about how his evolution as an entrepreneur and a leader. He describes how focus, empathy, and emotional intelligence have helped him take his business to the next level. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Dan, how you doing? It's a pleasure to have you on. and I'm really excited to have this conversation for a second time with our open, honest, and direct audience. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. From my last conversation with you, you shared your story about how you started as an entrepreneur and started your first couple of businesses before 18, right? How old were you when you first started? I was around 15 years old at the time, where it's like I actually had a business that was more than just like flipping basketball cards or Pokemon cards or anything like that, where I was actually making like a few thousand bucks a month. I think I was like 15, 16 years old. 15, 16 years old. And from 15, 16 till now, how many different businesses have you started, built, hustled through? (laughs) A lot of different concepts, definitely. Maybe like 10 or so. I don't know. It really depends what you consist of a business. There's like these hustles that I've had many of them throughout my life which has been super helpful to essentially have a bunch of different experiences where you can relate to a lot of different industries. And I think that's a major reason as to how and what, you know, we do today, but it also has a ton of different downsides that I have had to learn from as well by sometimes maybe spreading myself too thin. I have this inherent personality that I need to control where it's my appetite to do a bunch of different things and figure out the inefficiency in a certain problem that I then try and do too much. And then I become a master of none, right? And I think that at some point in time, you need to kind of focus and find what is the one thing I'm going to focus on and how am I going to be a master at that craft, you know? And so in in the last 10, 15 years, you've had these 10 ish different hustles and businesses and now the the one that you're currently on current which has recently completed a 36 million dollar token sale seems to be a business that you're growing and building and developing and how have you made that transition from hustler who wants to get his hand in everything get in the depths to now growing and building an organization what I ultimately came to the conclusion to, and this was about four years ago, was that the process in which I was going after things was not scaling, right? It was not the right way to go about my business and if I wanted to see it grow. And I kept facing different obstacles along the way. And that whole jack of all trades, master of none approach 
But what I noticed is that we would have like a really interesting business idea. One of my first companies where we did the whole startup thing and we actually raised some venture money for, our initial business idea was to build like this app builder that allowed you to kind of drag and drop your own apps. But at the same time, before we started that business, we had a product line that didn't really have anything to do with that business line, but it was making quite a lot of money every month, 200, 300K profit a month. And we kind of kept that business line operating while we were building this other product, which was kind of nice because we didn't have to raise outside capital in addition to what we already raised. And we can kind of focus on the two businesses and we kind of had this whole labs approach, right? And the company's name was ironically Mobile X Labs. So we did that. And what we noticed is that we would have like a product that had a ton of potential. So it could have been like an app that we did with a bunch of influencers or a game that we built. But because we had the team half in that, and then the other half of the team working on other product lines, my attention was like spread amongst two or three different products. We never really took enough time to really vet out and fix the underlying issues to really find that product market fit. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but what was interesting is like throughout all of those periods of times, we had many opportunities that we could have probably taken and built one great business that was say worth maybe $50 million or $100 million, whatever it might have been, if you like really became the winner of that space. But we never gave enough energy or 100% dedication to even get to that. So we just had all these kind of okay products. It took me like literally four years to realize that, that that was happening. And the upside of doing all this is that we did build product enough so that we were able to sell them off and so that we didn't die. But at the same time, it was a very long and painful experience because while you're trying to figure your stuff out and you don't necessarily have a solid vision, if you yourself are trying to figure it out and then it becomes really important to, on the leadership side to be able to still keep your team motivated. So there was definitely periods of time when we were still trying to figure out what we were going to do while we also had to keep our team motivated and make sure they were aligned with what we were going to ultimately build. But in some instances, and it was about till I was like 25, 26 years old, that I realized we just need to focus on one product because we can't have these one-off products that we give some attention to, or we're, we're literally just gonna like keep spinning our wheels and burn out. And that's actually the most difficult thing I think between me and my co-founders is just being able to stay in it and then find the one thing that we really wanted to focus on. And fortunately, you know, we realized that in time to eventually get into a position where we were able to focus on one concept. And ultimately that concept after several iterations became what the idea behind current is today. So can you tell our listeners what current is and what current does to just kind of give some background? The general idea behind current is to essentially reward users for their attention and their data. When most people look at current just from an outsider's point of view, they'll see a music streaming product and we definitely have music like components in our product. We specifically chose music streaming and associate that to rewarding people for their attention and data because music listening is a daily habit that people do each and every day. And really what the goal behind current is, is to create a new, more equitable business model for those daily habits that we can do in a digital consumption environment. So as an example, today we have really two prolific types of business models that exist in really any product, like or media consumption, doesn't matter. I mean, it's like an ad-based model and a subscription-based model. And we're really kind of trying to create this new attention-based model that basically allows users to pay with attention. This is like something that I feel is going to be the next big thing in 2020 and beyond, much like how freemium was like the thing that, you know, really popped off in like 2010, where you're 
better aligning interests with users. And I think that we see a lot of this stuff going on with GDPR and the California Privacy Act and all these different things. People are waking up to the idea of like, hey, if the product's free, it means that you're the product and people should get rewarded for that property that is theirs, their data and their most precious asset, which is their attention, you know, because we only have so much of it. We're essentially doing it for our own platform first. And over time, we see this going into other industries where it doesn't have to be just music streaming. It could be video games. It could be audio. But it doesn't matter. Anything that involves people going into something and performing a habit, they can better monetize that attention and data as opposed to the traditional methods of just shoving audio ads into something or trying to monetize in the traditional methods that most platforms have gone after. So when you say monetize that habit, is it that me, the user, goes on current and listens to a song and then I get paid? Or how does that work? Essentially, that's what occurs. Our value proposition to users for our app is get paid to play the music you love. So current has 100,000 different stations. People can listen to music and they get rewarded. Um, to be honest with you, we don't really monetize the music listening as much as we do the other activities. So the general concept and the premise was if people are going to perform this activity anyways, which the majority of people do listen to music and the people that we specifically go after are like free users, people that are maybe using the free version of Spotify or Pandora or whatever, can we provide a valuable service for them to essentially switch over their habits to? And then because they're going to be spending time in that service and getting paid for it, can we show other activities that would allow us to better monetize. So that could be something like us working with a brand or a market research partner, and they want to ask the user three different questions, like a survey or something. And then they're willing to pay 50 cents for the response of that survey. So we're monetizing the micro task and micro activities and like those little moments of attention that the user can either engage with and earn more or not engage with and earn less. And it's totally optional. That's whatever they want to do. But that's how we're able to basically provide people with a couple hundred dollars or more a year, you know, extra income through this unique model. And the biggest thing is that, you know, there's been platforms that have gone on with this type of idea in the sense of like how to monetize user attention and whatnot. The main issue I think is the retention issues. And I think that that's where the whole like music thing comes part of it, where it's like, if people are used to doing this thing on a daily basis, whereas like loyalty programs and reward programs, like people don't think about that every day. They don't think about shopping every day, but they do think about social media or music listening or video listening or phone usage every day. So this is the business model, the vision that, as you were mentioning earlier, you spent four years trying to figure out that we can't do five things. We need to do one thing really, really well. And as you've decided to do this business model and this vision really, really well, what's been different about the building of this business versus all your other hustles? I mean, even with just focusing on one thing, we have so many different components to this business that need to be addressed that I still feel like a little bit of the, like the scattered that I mentioned earlier, right? Because I don't even know how I would even imagine to do anything else outside of this, outside of current, because it's like such a massive opportunity, right? So we've been able to find something that I believe is like a multi, multi-billion dollar opportunity and essentially like redefine a new type of business model that I believe will be something that everyone uses in the next few years. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of thought. 
you're going to face a lot of problems along the way, you know, and it's not just about building the product. It's also about doing so that meets the requirements from regulators, users, advertisers, the platforms. And then, you know, the way that we raised our capital was very unique. And we had to also deal with regulatory uh, from, from that end and have underlying economics that makes sense for all parties because we didn't want to just bleed cash into that. So it's just so many different components. But when you take that energy and you can just focus on that one thing, you know, your mind operates in a different way because I'm not context changing every day, right? That was the biggest issue I ran into is like my context would change depending on what my action was or what I was trying to accomplish. And in the early days, you sometimes have to do that. You have to basically know when is the right time in your life to do that. When we first started, we didn't have enough money to really pay like high salaries, you know, that were able to support a regular lifestyle. So there were some aspects where we had to be like, okay, I'm going to spend 40 hours a week working on my main company. I'm going to spend 10 hours a week on these other activities that will provide some income so that I can supplement that income and then further develop this idea. Once we got to a point that we felt that, hey, listen, like we need to go all in on this and we have enough capital to be at least support ourselves. That's when we decided to focus on just that. But it, it does take a lot of discipline to do that. But now I'm better able to lead my team, focus on the several different aspects, not just like the product or like the business development, but also like the recruiting. And you need all these things because without them, you get stuck, right? And every level of your business, whether it's like 10 employees, 25 employees, 50 employees, your business changes every time. There's like inflection points. And every time an inflection point occurs, you need to recreate the process of what you're doing. It's so interesting. And what's been the most surprising part of this process? Because it seems like this has really been an evolution of not just how you think, but how you build and grow and evolve businesses. What's been the most surprising part in this new evolution with current? What's been the biggest surprise? The biggest surprise, at least more for myself, I suppose. I think it's because of that whole mentality of growth hacks and hustle your way or whatever it is. Sometimes what I've noticed is that that type of thinking, while it sometimes is valuable if you can find the little pieces of gold in there to be able to kind of scale further, but a lot of these short-sighted thinkings will get you in trouble, right? And you kind of have to set what your goals are. Is your goal to make a quarter million dollars a year and live a comfortable life? Or is your goal to build a nine-figure business? And usually the latter, it's two different attitudes. And you have to really kind of figure out what you want out of your life. And my biggest learning from that was that while it didn't seem I was really going anywhere but by taking sometimes the longer road on something. So as an example, when we went through this whole regulatory frameworks around what was happening in the crypto space, when we decided to raise our funds in that method, I jumped into an industry that I, at least from the legal standpoint, didn't really understand. And we had to go through this, a ton of different processes, the things that I never knew that I would even have to think about and just learn it. And it took like the better part of a year and a year and a half to come up with a plan that today we're very confident in. But I'm very thankful that we went through that because if we would have just done the short-sighted thing back then and pretty much did what everyone else did, we would be in a ton of different legal issues with regulators. We wouldn't have a good standing with those regulators and our business would be in jeopardy. And I think that's- To give, sorry for interrupting, but to give context to the listeners is a year and a half ago, you raised $36 million, not from the traditional sense, right? Not from VCs, but from tokens and cryptocurrency. And so- Correct me, but it sounds like what you're referencing is if you just took that money and didn't think about how that 
matches up with the new regulations that the SEC put out and the new regulations that are going out there, then your business would be not in the same spot it is today. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, essentially, like we had to go through a variety of different legal headaches to kind of figure out, okay, how is the SEC reviewing this? Um, What are the appropriate steps? Like, how do we fortify our business? How do we make sure that we can create a model that makes sense, that gives value back to our investors without breaking the underlying frameworks of securities that have been in place since the early 1900s and apply it to cryptocurrency? And a lot of these rules weren't written. I know. 100% old them probably would have just been like, "Mm, we'll figure it out when we get there and do first ask for forgiveness later. And I think that there's some times where that thought process can really benefit you, but there's some other times where that process could really fuck you. And you told me you hired a coach for yourself and then found so much value in it. You hired it for some of your other co-founders or executives. What inspired that? Yeah, I've been working with coaches for the last four or five years. I at least know that I don't know everything. Uh, And I used to think that I knew a lot of things and I would be like, "Mm, yeah, I don't know if it's worth the money. But then I came to this realization where that's the exact opposite mentality that I would want to work with anyone, right? Like a person's not willing to like learn new things and you awake to that, right? And, And then you were like, well clearly what I'm doing is not working, right? Why don't I have a billion dollar business here if like my system's not necessarily in place? So I seeked out different coaches that can help me not only from like an emotional intelligence point of view, but also kind of like leave in different ways. And also so that I can have a meter to kind of gauge, this is a problem I'm having at work. This is how I'm thinking about handling it. And then just seeing what their point of view is. And then When you can kind of have that feedback loop in place, it allows you to better assess yourself and how to lead. And then it it took me a little time even further to think through, well, I'm getting benefit out of this. Wouldn't my employees get a benefit out of this as well? And the ones that stepped up to that, clearly they're having a similar thought process. And that ultimately allows them to not only feel thankful that their company is investing in them, which means that like, we want their benefit and want them to excel, but also allows them to step up and think about things in a different way, much like I did. That's interesting because it kind of overlaps with your journey over the last four to six years where you've been thinking about operating and working and living and building in a different way. I wonder what's been the impact of the coaching on you or the coaching on your leaders and the way in which you guys are growing and building and working with each other? I mean, you see the impact in a lot of different ways. I think for me personally, it's been more around EQ level things, I suppose. Being able to think about someone else's point of view, like how they may be seeing things and also adapting my leadership style to adapt. I remember when we first started the company, if something went wrong, I would like have a flip out, you know, and it was like totally not how I would see any leader ever reacting to something. I'm just having this like one flashback when I was like 23, 24 years old. And I would never do that now. If someone's not meeting expectations, that's like not the reaction that you should take. Creates a very hostile environment that is fear-based as opposed to being collaborative and whatnot. I think that's a big thing that a lot of people never really touch on and don't really see the importance of having that kind of reflection and empathy within the organization. Um, I think another one is quantifying things in the sense of smart ask, smart goals. So that's something that like we've been trying to change internally where it's like, okay, when are you going to be able to get this done by? And someone might say, well, tomorrow. Okay. What does tomorrow mean? 
is tomorrow 9 a.m.? Is tomorrow 5 p.m.? Is tomorrow 11, 59 p.m.? And that creates a fluffy organization and it's hard to meet deadlines. So, so we've been trying to grow as an organization to have more structure in it because I think that as you grow in people, that is necessary to do. Kind of talking with coaches and thinking about this kind of process has kind of helped us derive some infrastructure to basically make sure we have the appropriate processes to grow and collaborate as a unit as opposed to just doing. There actually needs to be goals in place if you want to continue to move forward and let people know that they're doing things well and doing things right. You said something earlier about, I used to flip out and I was wondering, how do you now avoid or alter that flip out when something happens that isn't the way that either you wanted it or should have happened? There's times where those things are going to happen during the day, right? And it's, you could be reactive, but I try not to allow the reactiveness of something to occur in that moment. I'll just like table it in that moment of time and then kind of regather my thoughts and then talk about it, right? And that person will definitely know that I'm disappointed in the scenario, but I also try to also see how I'm impacting it as well. Sometimes I find that the root cause of those things is I'm setting unclear communication elements to this individual. If I may have like a thing in my head where it's like, I'm expecting a certain quality of work and I'm not appropriately voicing what is being expected. It's also fluffy, right? Um, or I may say, hey, can you get this done by tomorrow? When in fact, I'm doing the exact same thing that I just requested them not to do. So I'm providing the exact same literature. So because I'm spread so thin amongst the various things going on in the company, I may be giving guidelines or feedback that aren't 100% concrete. And I may have an expectation in my head, but if I don't voice that expectation in the person, are they a mind reader? Are they gonna understand yeah. expected? Whether it's in a company setting or even with your significant other, we often want something, but we don't appropriately communicate what we want. Either subconsciously we don't, or for fear of saying, you need to kind of establish that process to be able to open up that dialogue with the individual and be on the same page. And sometimes that could be kind of awkward, but if you set up the appropriate base to do that, I think you can make it so that it's not. So it's like an open and collaborative environment. I think it's really interesting that earlier saying from working to not blow up at people and then putting it back on yourself, right? And I think that's a really great way to think about it is what am I not doing or communicating to cause this gap in an outcome? Especially if you're the leader of the whole team and you're the leader of that initiative that they're missing it. And right. then you mentioned one of the things I was wondering, which is like, okay, it's interesting to realize that. And then how do you make that more comfortable? Because it is hard. It does take an extra second. It is a little scary. And you said creating this open and collaborative environment. Are there certain things that you do to create an open and collaborative environment or is it something that just happens as a consequence of communicating smart asks and smart goals? What have you seen that's worked for you? I'm still in the process of figuring out exactly what works. I think every individual is different. Asking questions helps because sometimes you also learn things that you didn't even see, right? But you will find that there are areas in which communication lapse is occurring. 
a thought process I recently had. Sometimes the way that I deal with problems like this is more like a boss or like a manager as opposed to kind of thinking more like a coach relationship of how I have it with my coaches. As an example, sometimes if I talk through something with a coach of mine, I will realize that I am making a big mistake and they're not scolding me on the mistake that I'm doing. They're just really asking like questions and they're just my coach and I'm the client. But what I find is that, you know, when I have that conversation, I like look at them as a person that's like helping me develop where sometimes if you're leading with emotion, I'm not doing the same to say my employees, which makes you feel good when you find your own fault, I suppose. And then you're bought into kind of like the change that you're going to make into that or the commitment that you're going to make to that, as opposed to being told what the commitment that you expect is. And I think that by asking questions and kind of thinking yourself more as how do I coach this person or talk to them how my coaches would talk to me, I suppose. It's a way of thinking, but then it's also actions following up, which is like, you know, I have to imagine things that when you start and plan and think about your, your day-to-day job, you don't, you don't insert that time in, right? That time to like not have a 30 second sit down with somebody, but have a five or 10 minute or 15 minute conversation where they need to, they need to explore as opposed to you just telling them to do it. And then the follow-up that comes with all that too, and the holding them accountable to it. It, it takes more work and more energy. To do a lot of these things, I think you need to be very in tune with empathy and be able to kind of reflect and take the time to think about these strategies. It doesn't come like natural to everyone, right? Everyone has different levels of these things and different personality types. And you got to kind of understand like, who are the different people? Who am I dealing with? Because if I just say, hey, we should just do this. I know that it sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable because that's not their necessarily uh, way of, of handling things. And I think as a leader, you need to kind of understand what type of personality am I dealing with? What's going to be the most effective method to communicate with this person? And where are we having communication breakdowns? And none of these things are easy. And I think that's why for leaders specifically, having the empathy to understand that and really think through it and reflect, that's the starting point. Sounds like you are, you know, as you're, evolving as an entrepreneur you're evolving as a leader and and evolving from this like even from the start of our conversation right this many different things speeding up and going really fast but it's almost like in the last bit of this conversation you were reminding me of this the the concept of you gotta slow down to speed up and you gotta like be a little bit more thoughtful and you can't make those immediate decisions like maybe you did as an individual or with one or two other co-founders but now you have to think about the right times to do that and the other times to think about the implications about how they will impact the rest of the business. Right. Yeah. Dan, thank you. This has been just a really fun, interesting, uh, informative conversation to hear your journey and to hear how it's continuing to evolve as you build current and, and you build the team and you grow yourself. So thank you for the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And you can always drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers. Cheers.